All right, y'all can have a seat. Welcome. How are y'all doing today? Good. Good. Okay, question. Um, uh, how many of you were either here last week or watched it uh, on YouTube or the website last week? I'm particularly glad that y'all are here back <laughs> again today. Yesterday was, a, last week was a great learning experience. Thanks to all who helped clean up because this place was a mess mess. But I'll tell you, uh, if you haven't seen it, by the way, go back and just watch it either on YouTube or Facebook or because listening to it, you don't quite capture uh, what exactly happened. Go back and watch it. But um, uh, what I have heard, uh, which I'm so thankful for, are how many people that continued to still linger, not just like waking up in the middle of the night, coughing up a feather, which Matt did, uh, the Sunday, but like just the idea of it and, and what that illustration, that what that metaphor captured uh, did, what I prayed that God would use it to do, so I'm so thankful for that. Well, seriously, welcome here. My name is Fred. I'm the lead, I'm the lead pastor here, and um, like every time when we gather together, I hope that you leave here with more faith and trust in Jesus uh, than you left with, no matter where you are on that faith journey. If you have been walking with him for decades, if you haven't walked with him at all in your life, I pray that today uh, you make one step closer to that. Uh, in particular, here's what we're going to talk about. You've heard the word mentioned a couple of times, uh, and it's this, it's disappointment. Uh, we're going to talk about disappointment today. So let me ask you this. Have you ever wanted something, like really, really, really wanted something, uh, only to get it and then not have it deliver on what you thought it was going to deliver on, not have it live up maybe to the promises that it, um, uh, it promised? Have you ever experienced disappointment after attainment, right? Maybe it was the perfect job. Right? You went to school, you got the degree, you got the certifications, and then you got into the job, um, and it wasn't everything it, cracked, it was cracked up to be. I've heard, the, I've heard the expression, every profession becomes a job at some point, right? Maybe that was you. Maybe it's marriage, Right? Maybe you've wanted to be married, you, you got married, uh, and you find yourself in a relationship that's, that's marked with disappointment. What about friends? Have you ever wanted to be friends with someone and, and, and you admired them from a distance and, and then you became friends with that person only to realize they're a horrible friend, right? But for those younger here, maybe it's the toy you've always wanted, right? And when I say always, I mean like maybe the last three weeks, right? Like you've wanted it so bad and then you get it and you play with it and then what happens? It sits on a shelf, right? It sits in the back of the closet. You see, I think, I think all of us in some way or another have experienced disappointment. We've all experienced something not living up to what it promised. Even Jesus had this experience. Matt talked about it uh, with this being Palm Sunday. Today is the day that, that the church around the world celebrates the, the, the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem as king. And if you, if you know the story of the Bible, like, like people put palm branches down and they put their coats, their cloaks down so that Jesus would essentially have this, this uh, well, you know, what we would think of as a red carpet coming into the city. And, and, and as they did that and as Jesus approached the city, they, they hailed him as king. Right? And they promised to be his people until he didn't live up to be the king they expected. Right? Because they thought if he comes as king, he's going to get rid of our oppressors. He's going to get rid of Rome. 
And he ended up dying on a cross. He ended up dying on a, as, as a criminal. And it didn't meet, Jesus didn't meet the expectations they brought to him. And so, so, so they experienced disappointment. Now, now, Jesus knew this. Right? Like he knew as they, were, as they were shouting, Hosanna, you know, like King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they knew that their promise to be his people was a pretty shallow promise. Mary Poppins has this phrase that something can be a pie crust promise, easily made, easily broken. Right? If you've ever made a pie crust, I don't know which one she's talking about that's easily made, but you can make them pretty easy, right? But they are definitely easily broken. Jesus knew their promise was a pie crust promise, easily made, easily broken, right? So let me ask you, where does disappointment live in your life? Like, where does it live in your life? Not, not your parents, not, not your spouse, not your friends, not your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance. Where does it live in, in your life? What have you worked hard to get only to have it not satisfy you? Well, here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see how to deal with that kind of disappointment, right? We're going to see a way how to have a life that's full, right? Even when things around us don't satisfy us. So open in your Bibles. Turn with me to Psalm 134. As Andrew said, this is the, the last psalm in the psalm of ascent. It's the playlist of the nation of Israel as they traveled from the place they lived to the place they called home. And this is the last song in, in that playlist. It's the last psalm of it. Um, and, and I hope as we've been going through these psalms, I hope there's been something that's good for your soul. I know it's been, I know it's been in good for me. I hope it's been good for you. And, and, and I tell you, you know, these chairs up here, if, you, if you're new today or, or you've been here and I haven't explained them, what we did is we asked people to bring a chair that represented people that they were praying for that were on this journey from the place they lived to the place they called home, that, that, that uh, on this journey to, to, to walk with Jesus. And we've talked about these chairs and, and prayed for, for the people that rep, they represent to fill them. We've also talked about how we need these chairs, right? That we're on this journey with Jesus. And so that's, that's why they're here. And, and, and I wonder if any of those prayers have been answered. I know one of them has. I know on this journey I have seen one person um, uh, take a step toward Jesus, which is really cool. But that's just the one I know. I wonder if you've gotten to experience any of the prayers of the people of this church being answered as, as you've prayed for people that were on this journey from the place they lived to the place they called home, which, which for the nation of Israel was the temple in Jerusalem. And for us, it's with Jesus in heaven. Speaking of chairs, take them home today, by the way. Because like I said, this is the last, this is the last uh, series, so, so do that. Um, uh, but when you do, when you take them home, do continue to pray. Every time you see that chair, pray for those people, and let's, let's see what God does. And in today's short psalm, it's only a few verses, it's believed that this is the song that as they traveled from wherever they lived, as they traveled to Jerusalem, as they traveled to the temple, this was the, the song that they would sing when they got there. This was the song they would sing when they saw the temple, Right? When they finally saw it, they would see the lights on. We're going to see that this psalm kind of pictures it, the pictures of the temple at night. And they would see the Levites and the priests and the, and the assistants to the priests. They'd see the people that worked in the temple and they would see them getting ready for worship. And look at what they, look at what they would sing. So Psalm 134 says, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Come 
Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this is it is, uh, it, it is two things at one time. It is an invitation and it is a command, right? It's an invitation. Come, bless the Lord, right? All you people that are serving the Lord, come, bless the Lord. It's, a, it's an invitation. When I was, when I was growing up, uh, my grandmother on my mother's side uh, would oftentimes over the weekend have big meals for the family. My mom is one of 13 kids. And so, like, I don't even know how many cousins I had. Like, it was not uncommon for me to be at Walmart with my wife and be like, okay, I just saw a family member and I have no idea what their name is. I know they're related to me somehow, so let's go this way, because I don't, I don't want the awkwardness, right? Like, 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 it was a big family. Well, on the weekends, on Saturdays, she would make, oh, y'all, fried chicken, mashed potatoes. People would bring enough to feed and all kinds of desserts. But here was the deal. The kids had to be outside while everything was getting ready, right? But then, when it was time to eat, someone would step outside and she'd say, y'all come in. Or he'd say, y'all come in. That was for all the kids to come inside. It was an invitation. And one, it was an invitation that I very rarely missed, right? But I have ADHD, so sometimes I did, right? And so sometimes the dirt was too interesting to me than the meal, right? Like I was just distracted and I missed the invitation. Well, here's what else would happen at grandma's house. If everybody wasn't inside, nobody ate, right? It wasn't a fend for yourself. The, the, the table had to be full and everybody had to be there. So if Fred Jr., that's me, was still outside, my mom would come out. And what was an invitation became a command, right? Instead of y'all come in here and eat, it's Fred Jr., come in here and eat, right? Like, same thing. One way is an invitation, the other way is a command, that's what this is. It is an invitation and a command. And so here's why, here's why I want to hone in on this part of this psalm as we, as we begin it and as we, as we step into this psalm. Sometimes when we gather together, there is, um, uh, you find in your heart a desire to respond to God's invitation whether it's a, a point of the sermon and the spirit moves and you're like, oh yeah, I need that and, and your answer is yes. And, and sometimes it's at the end of the sermon, there's a call to response and it's yes. And, and there's this like this natural, spirit-filled, caffeine-probably-helping moment to say yes, right? But sometimes it's not. And sometimes we don't just need the invitation, sometimes we need the command. Right? Sometimes we need the command to bless the Lord. Sometimes we need the command to come in. And so, 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 so here's my prayer for us, is that we respond in some way to the truth of today's passage. Whether that be through invitation or whether that be through command, my question for us to consider is what will that response be? Okay, so let's find out what the rest of the psalm has and see what the response is going to be. Let's look and see, what, uh, see who is to bless the Lord. It says, it says um, Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. 
Now remember, this psalm, this song was sung by travelers as they traveled from the place they lived to the place they call home. They see the temple, and they get there at night. And what they see is they see the, the people in the temple doing the, the night shift work, right? If you were a helper in the, in the temple, if you were a Levite or assistant to the priest or whatever, you, you were just put on these rotations. And sometimes you would work during the day, and sometimes you would work during the night. And not only was your job to get the temple ready for worship, you were also there to guard the temple. Like some of the Levites were, were guards and they were standing on guard, much like we have a safety team here that kind of patrols the building, patrols the outside. That's what these guys would do, right? They would, they would stand around the temple and they would just watch. So, so from where they were, they could see the travelers traveling by and they could, they could see them. And it's believed that this song was a song that the travelers would sing to those in the temple, that they would sing to those who are guarding the temple by night and who are getting it set up for worship, which is why it's an invitation and a command. Because, because as, I, as I studied this, the, the, the question I had is, okay, so why, if this is, if this is the way that this psalm was sung, is that we would sing it as we were going to Jerusalem and we'd see them working in the temple, Why? Why would the travelers be singing to, to the people in the temple to come bless the Lord? Now, let me tell you something that may not be too often talked about by pastors and those in ministry. Oftentimes, doing the work of God can be really disappointing. All right? It can be really disappointing. And in and, and, and my however many years of ministry, I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed in ministry, i.e. covid Nobody taught us how to prepare for that one, right? I have felt sadness. I have felt betrayed in ministry. Like all of this is doing the work that God has called me to do. Y'all, sometimes doing what God has asked you to do does leave you unsatisfied, right? Now, this could be because what we're asking God to do in the midst of it, maybe, maybe our expectations are wrong, right? Maybe we have the wrong set of expectations, or maybe it's just because we live in a broken world, right? Because I think we have this myth. At least I do. Y'all can, y'all can respond some way if you want, if you do too. We, we have this myth, I have this myth that I believe that, that if I do what God has asked me to do, life will be easier somehow, some way, right? And y'all, it's simply not true. God doesn't promise, uh, promise this as an easier life. As a matter of fact, when you read the New Testament, you often see what marks the life of a follower of Jesus is suffering. And yet there's joy in that suffering, but there's suffering. You see, this myth says life will be good, you know, life will be easy if I do what God has asked me to do, but the truth is that life will be good if you do what God is asking you to do, right? But nowhere does God promise it'll be easy. I mean, listen, we're here to worship Jesus. Minus what we celebrate next week, which is a the big deal. But if we knew his story only this week and we saw a crucifixion, he did everything God asked him to do and he was crucified. Right? Like, disappointment is, is unfortunately 
part of following God. I say, so who wants to follow Jesus today? Yay! Right? But there's hope. There's hope. Like, sermons have a narrative. Just follow me. Keep, keep with me. Keep with me, right? Right? Because remember, there is this invitation and this command to bless the Lord. And so, whoever you are, even the night shift, this song is being sung over you to come bless the Lord and do this. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. So verse 1 is this invitation slash command. Verse 2 is this call to a specific posture, right? Lifting up holy hands was this, this picture of prayer and this picture of surrender. Like, like it's, it's taking empty hands to God, right? And so the song is basically saying, listen, you night shift who's working in the temple. I know you probably didn't sign up for the night shift. I know you're doing the work for us. And that might cause you a whole lot of disappointment because you probably didn't study under the rabbi to work the night shift, right? But you're working the night shift in the temple of God. Like lift up holy hands and pray and pray to the temple. You see, Jesus in the week between Palm Sunday and Easter, in the week that we celebrate between this week and, and next week, there was a moment where he walked into the temple and saw something that uh, drove him uh, crazy. It was so troubling to him that he overturned tables and he drove people out of the temple. And here's why. When he walked into the temple, when he walked into the temple of God, he saw people doing a hustle on the poor and the needy. Right, Because all these people, they had sung these songs, they had traveled from the place they lived to the place they called home to get to Jerusalem to worship. And when they get there, part of the worship was that they would take an, uh, an unblemished lamb and, and sacrifice it. And so it did all, you know, is it for the, the sin that they committed, for all this stuff. But for it to be an unblemished lamb, it had to be inspected, is the system that was set up. In the system, if it went wrong, which it was going wrong when Jesus walked in, right? It was, it was a person would inspect the lamb and look at it and say, oh, gosh, so close. So how far did you travel? Oh, you traveled so far. Yeah, listen, this, this, lamb, uh, this lamb has a, a blemish in it. Um, uh, I can give you 10 bucks for it. I'll just, I'll sell it from you because what are you going to do with it? I'll, I'll buy it and we'll figure out something to do with it. I'll give you 10 bucks. And, and if you want, you can go over to my brother right over there and he will sell you a pre-approved unblemished lamb for 50 bucks. Oh, you don't, you don't have 50 bucks? Well, my other brother back there has some pigeons and that'll work for you. And those only cost 20. And since I just gave you 10, it's 10. Surely you can find $10, right? And it was this system that was going on. And then at the end of the day, what they would do is they would take all the uh, blemished lambs that they had collected during the day, move them over to the pre-approved unblemished lamb pen, and sell those the next day. And in the meantime, they were making all kinds of money. It's like if you watch Zootopia, right? And it's the fox character that buys the big popsicle and melts it down to all the little popsicles to make a whole lot of money. It's like that. Only it wasn't about popsicles, Right? It was about worship. And Jesus walks into the temple, the temple of God, the place where, where travelers would encourage those who work there to lift up holy hands and pray. And he sees, he sees this system of oppression going on. And he drove them out. And as he did, he said this, My house shall be called a house of prayer. 
right? And this psalm is sung to remind those doing the work in the temple that they get to work in a house of prayer. You see, church, there are times where serving God can be disappointing. And I get it on a deep, deep level. Years of counseling, I get it, right? Disappointment, though, what I've learned is that disappointment isn't a sign that you're not doing God's work, right? Disappointment isn't a signal telling you that God's not working. If your marriage is hard, it doesn't mean that God's not beyond the ability to work in you through, to work through you in that marriage. That that marriage is not beyond redemption. If, 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 if your job is hard, it doesn't mean it's the wrong job or that God's not working through you at that job. If, if friends aren't helping you walk in, in, in with Jesus better, it doesn't mean they're the only friends for you on the planet. Right? It might mean that we're looking in the wrong place to find our satisfaction. It might mean our posture needs to change. Because that's what they're calling these servants to, is to take on a specific posture with hands open, right? Now let's let's bring this in a little bit, because maybe this will help pinpoint some disappointment in your life. How do you answer this question? The things in my life that I have to fill in the blank are what? I have to. I have to do this. I have to do that. You have to do what? What is that in the blank? Because let me tell you, disappointment can thrive in have-tos. Absolutely thrive. But is it in your life where you have to do something? For a long time, ironically, in my job in ministry, it was preaching. I have to get up here and preach. Like, it was work. I experienced very little joy in it. Not, 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 you know, not since I've known y'all. This was before. But, but like, seriously, it was, it was the part of the job that I actually didn't sign up for. I got my, my master's in counseling so I wouldn't have to do this, right? And yet God moved me here until one day, this is when we were still at the, at the, at the Y downtown, I guess that way. When we were at the Y, I remember preaching, and, and, and I can't remember what we were preaching, but there was this truth in God's word, and I realized that in preaching this truth, I... If, like, if we all, I even said this at the sermon, I was like, y'all, if we all get this, I just saved myself 200 coffee appointments. Like, it was then that I realized I don't have to preach. I get to preach, and I get to shepherd and disciple people in one swoop. Like, you coming here to, to worship, and if you ever ask your question, why come to church? Because it is part of the discipleship process. We get to learn God's truth together. And if we get it and hold on to it, when we leave this place, we leave with more faith and trust in Jesus and we walked in, which means we leave with with a, a better life. It may be harder when we leave, but it is gooder. All the English people, the, the English people said that is not a word. You're right, but I don't know another one. That's be, that, that, that's better for it. Like that's what that's what happens. Right? 
See, your have-tos, when, when, you, when you feel like a have-to, like, like, like it, it, imagine like picking up a burden, right? Like picking up buckets full of rocks. It's almost landscaping season. Some of you had already been doing it. Like, like imagine picking up bucket full of rocks and walking around with them. That's what have-tos feels like. Get to, it's this posture of an open hand. Get to is, 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 is light. Have-to is a burden, you see, my preaching went from a have-to to a get-to, that I get to teach God's Word for the transformation of souls, and that is a privilege. You see, not only this, once I saw it as a get-to, I got to see how God had prepared me to teach and preach for years. I got my degree, my undergrad in elementary education. I've said this before, like, I used to teach third graders. What I've learned is congregations, it's the same principles, Right? No offense. Y'all are smarter than a third grader. Don't go on the TV show because none of us are smarter than fifth graders. But, but it's the same principles. Like God prepared me even before I was a Christian to step into this. And so it, tur- so it created this, this, this the ability to see how God has been working. See, when, you're, when your have-tos turn into get-tos, you get to see God in a whole new way. This is the posture shift that they were calling them to. This posture shift of, of I have to to I get to. And so, so where, is your, where is your have to? And what would happen for your have to to turn into a get to? Right? Like I have to do homework tonight? Right? How about this? And let's just be completely 100% practical. I get to do homework so that I can go outside and play. Right? I get to do homework so that I can go outside and play. Anybody surprised at how often your children eat? Like, have you ever thought, like, I have to make food for these kids again? Right? But here's what you get to do. You get to create a table that has food on it and where conversation can happen and where memories are built, even if, they're, even if you think they're really bad memories. Trust me, over the lifetime of sitting at that table, there's a whole lot of good memories there, and you get to do that. Right? I have to go to work. How about, God, I get to work with people who need you. Some of them more than others. Right? I get to work with people that get to see Jesus in me. I get to be a light there. And so instead of I have to, what is your God I get to? What would happen if you filled in the blank the same way? Where can your have to become God I get to? Now, here's the deal. I want you to, to fill it in, but, but we're not done yet. Because this next verse is critically important. Because here's the deal. I want you to see God's heart in this. Otherwise, this is just great advice. And when we gather together, the last thing I want to do is just give you great advice. I want to give you good, godly counsel, right? And to do that, we see the heart of God behind this. Because I think we need more of God for a have to to turn to a get to. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. Verse 3 says, uh, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now, notice the shift here, right? There's a command and an invitation, come bless the Lord. Lift up holy hands like, like, like it's, it's, it's the people singing uh, to the servants in the temple. Well, now in verse 3, it's believed that the servants in the temple are now singing back to the people. 
right? And so they say, come, bless the Lord. And then the servants say, may the Lord bless you. Right? It's, it's, it's like this shift. It's believed to be that this song was designed to be a response song. If this was you and me and I'm the guard in the temple and you're the traveler, you would sing verses 1 and 2 to me and then I would sing verse 3 back to you. But here's what I want, to, want us to focus on a little bit. There's, there's a word that's been repeated multiple times in this verse, and it's the word bless. Now, we've looked at other psalms where there's different words for the word bless. This song... This psalm uses the same word throughout the entire psalm, and it's the word barak, which means to kneel down, right? Now, when we bless the Lord, it makes sense to kneel down. Come, kneel down, bless the Lord. Like we're kneeling before God, yes, makes perfect sense. Arms open, got it. But what does it mean for God to kneel down with us? It means that God meets us where we are. Y'all, that is the heart of our God, that God meets you in your have-tos, right? He meets you and me in our have-tos. That's what I love about our God is we don't have to, we don't have to get all of our have-tos switched to get-tos to make him happy. He meets us in the middle of our have-tos. He meets us in the difficult marriages, in the, in the, in the, in the friendships falling apart. He meets us at work when it's a really, really, really tough and bad day. He meets us in the midst of our disappointment. And he's the one that gets to turn our have-tos to get-tos. And so what does it mean for for God to barack you? It means that he kneels with you. It means that he partners with you. Here's the deal about our God. He doesn't oppress us. He lifts us up. Right? He makes things right, just like he did in the temple. He doesn't possess us. He partners with us. That is our God. You know, every time... We do discovery dessert or a membership class, which if you're new to fellowship, that's kind of the way to find out more about who we are is is discovery. And I get to talk about the mission of the church, that the mission of the church is we exist for the exact same reason all churches exist, to to make disciple-making disciples. It's what Jesus said is some of his last words, um, actually it was his last words, for he rose into heaven. In Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission, the last few verses of of the last chapter in in Matthew, and Jesus tells his followers, he says, he says, go and make disciples by baptizing them. In other words, bringing those who don't know me, introduce them to me and, and bring them in and baptize them, right? Tell them about Jesus so that they become part of the church. Show them that the, 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 the benefits that Jesus offers, that he takes away the power and shame of sin in your life and gives you this good and right and personal relationship with the God of the universe who loves you and who created you, that Jesus is the one who does that. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Walk with them in this pathway of maturity from the place they live to the place they call home. Like, teach them the ways of Jesus. But then he gives this promise after that. It's this promise of partnership. And y'all, I think this is so key for us to understand because this is where that posture shift happens. Because Jesus said this to all of those who were listening to him. He says it to us. Because he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you always. See, Jesus 
promises to partner with his people. You see, church, partnering with Jesus in your have-tos allows them to become get-tos and allows you to see God in your get-to. You see, Jesus turns your disappointment into purpose by partnering with you. So those things that are your have-tos, that get to be your get-tos, Jesus can meet you there. And he can show you the purpose for that. So let me ask you again, where is your have-to? Because I would imagine that have-to feels pretty purposeless, right? It feels like drudgery and it feels like a burden. Because it is a burden. Let's let Jesus lift it. Right? What if you invite Jesus to show you his purpose for your have-to? Because you know what happens then? You invite him into your have-to. You get to experience Jesus there. You get to walk and work and, 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 and do all of your life with Jesus. And can I tell you how you know that Jesus has met you in your have-to and turned it into get-to this week? Uh, as Andrew said in our announcements, um, we're doing communion on Thursday night because we kind of wanted to, without the full meal and all that stuff, we want to reenact the, the, the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples because that's where we get communion from. And so we're doing that on Thursday night. We're just trying something new this year. Maybe a complete flop. Who knows? Couldn't be worse than thousands of feathers floating around in a sanctuary. So, so we'll just go with it and see what happens. But we're going to gather together, take communion together, and walk through that together. And, and in some communities of faith, communion is called the Eucharist. And what Eucharist means is it means gratitude. You see, when we meet with Jesus, there is gratitude. When we have partnered with Jesus, our have-tos turn to thank you. Right? Thank you for this. You see, church... Our partnering with Jesus allows us to see the true purpose, God's purpose, in our have-tos. And only then can he show you what to do in the midst of your have-to. Only then can he show you what he is doing in and through you. And for some of you listening online, or for some of you maybe even here, saying yes to Jesus is the first step in that. And so if you haven't invited him to partner with you in your life, then do that today. It's very simple. It's saying yes to Jesus. And inviting him to walk with you. Because in saying yes to the resurrected Jesus, he takes care of your sin. He takes care of your shame. And you get to experience a, a life with God that you didn't have before. And so what if today you invited him to partner with you in your life? Especially in those have-to kind of places. For those of you who have Jesus partnering with you in, in your life, what if we pause to ask Jesus to partner with us specifically in our have-to, specifically in those places where disappointment lives? And you ask Jesus, what is your purpose in this? Right? I was listening to this podcast um, this weekend, the uh, Harvard Business Review does an idea cast where they just kind of throw out kind of the main ideas of stuff they're bouncing around. And, and there was one guy talking about burnout at work. And he said, compiling all these studies together, he said what they discovered was actually shocking. It made them think that the surveys were wrong. It made them think that the data was wrong because it was one of those things where the data was so clear, something had to be wrong. But what they realized was that the data was just really clear. And they said in work satisfaction and in work disappointment, if you don't love 20% of your job, you're going to be burned out. Which, gosh, that seems really low, doesn't it? 
Because we have this myth that if life is easy, I'm living in my passion and I'm living my dream. But if we're living in God's purpose, that may be the better call. And so 20%, here's the deal. Your have-tos live in that 80%, don't they? Right? What would happen if you invited God into that? What if you let Jesus turn your have-tos to thank you. Do you know what could happen? Church, we could be a people of gratitude because we are walking with Jesus. And let me tell you, I think a group of people with this Jesus-partnered gratitude would be a pretty fun group of people to be around, don't you? I.e., y'all came back after I made a mess of everything. Y'all are already really fun in my book, right? I did toy with the idea of having like a watermelon and a sledgehammer up here and not doing a th- not even mentioning them, just to keep you on your toes all sermon long, but decided against it. Right? Y'all, let's be a group of people that partner with Jesus, particularly in our places of disappointment, particularly in our have-tos. And let's see what God does there. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good, and you are good to us. And I pray um, that you would do what only you can do and, and, and meet us in those places of disappointment, meet us in those have-tos, so that we too can sing over each other, the Lord bless you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.